And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Before we get to our program today, I always like to give a shout out to our new listeners and tell them a little bit about us uh, here at Alzheimer's Speaks. Um, bottom line, this company was started due to my own mother having dementia for 30 years and really feeling as a family member the lack of connection to services. So our goal is really to raise everyone's voice, and our, our mission is really to provide multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having these everyday conversations like we do here on Alzheimer's Speaks, that we're going to be able to remove a lot of the stigmas, and we're going to be able to disseminate information of where you can find resources and hopefully um, spark you on to light up your passion to get involved and and really make a difference um, in shifting our care culture as well. At our core, we also believe that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that it's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see your likes, your clicks, your shares of our resources here on Alzheimer's Speaks um, has really made a huge impact in terms of how far our content has traveled, not just with the radio show, but with our blog, with our webinars called Dementia Chats, where I interview people uh, and they are the true experts. They're diagnosed with the disease. Um, With our resource information on our general website, our YouTube channel, um, there's just so many um, different platforms that we use. And by you sharing that information in your spheres of influence, um, you got Alzheimer's Speaks um, recognized as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And also we were recognized by Maria Shriver um, as an architect of change for humanity. And I can tell you that would not have happened without each and every one of you. So again, from the bottom of my heart, um, you know, I hope you continue to like and share our information because it is making a difference out in the world. And those recognitions aren't just Alzheimer's Speaks. They're shared with each and every one of you. Um, by sharing this information and pushing it out to your spheres, you know, in all of our spheres of influence, there's people out there dealing with this disease who we don't even know. And I, if they're like me, the more they see information, the more comfortable they're going to feel clicking on it when they're ready to grab it. And that's a really important element of us being able to um, be supportive of those on this journey. Uh, let's see, what else do I want to tell you? I wanted to give a shout out to the Call Alert Center. Um, which is a great way to disseminate information if somebody happens to wander and um, they work with the police and family to to help find them using social media and some of the digital marketing. marketing and you can do that all up front for a very reasonable fee. also want to give a shout out to our friends at the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They just do so much on a holistic basis um, with dementia. So if you 
are interested in meditation and diet and exercise, that really is a place to go to get some wonderful, wonderful information. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the dementia-friendly cruise and symposium that we are um, doing this fall, November 11th through the 18th. In fact, one of our guests today, uh, Becky Watson, who's a music therapist, is going to be joining us on that cruise, and I'm just thrilled to have her with us again today. Um, others joining us on, on our educational panel is uh, Cindy Lazinski, who is with uh, Colorado and working on a dementia-friendly community there, um, and myself is the other professional. And then we have four people who are actually diagnosed with dementia who are going to be speaking and are going to be thoroughly engaging um, in the symposium. Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. And this um, this cruise is for people with early to um, mid-memory loss and their care partners. And that may be uh, families. It might just be, uh, you know, one loved one or a friend, or it might even be a professional companion. Um, but it, they can't go alone. It is for, for both um, because we aren't going to have uh, set respite care. And you can find information on alzheimerspeaks.com. With that, you can also download our helpful hints when dealing with dementia that just has a bunch of, I think, great communication techniques. So let me go ahead and introduce um, our ladies that we're going to interview today. We're going to be talking about um, how to deliver meaningful activities for those with dementia. And um, we have the founder and executive director of the GEM Adult Day Services. And uh, Gail is with us. And she uses um, a blend of her studies in dementia, rehab, occupational therapy, and life experiences um, to really pull together therapeutic recreation that is designed to provide meaningful days for people uh, with dementia. And Gail also runs uh, something called the Harmony Cafe, which we'll talk about, that has three major goals. One is to engage people living with dementia in meaningful ways. Um, The second is to demonstrate to the care partner that the person living with dementia can still enjoy meaningful activities. And the third is to reduce the stigma of dementia in the larger community. So welcome, Gail. How are you today? Great. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, good. I am also excited that Becky Watson can uh, join us today. And like I mentioned earlier, Becky is a music therapist and the founder and owner of Music for Wellness. And she, uh, Becky is a former Navy captain who served for our country for over 25 years. So I have to say thank you very much for that, Becky. And um, she has always been passionate about supporting the health and wellness um, to people through music. So after she retired from the Navy, she completed multiple training programs, including Tipa Snow's Positive Approach to Care. And today she's going to help us focus on um, having a, a fascinating and fun conversation about the gift of music to create joy um, through uh, through rhythm. So welcome, Becky. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Lori. It's an honor to be on your podcast again. Thank you. Well, and again, I can't I can't wait to have you on the cruise with us. It's just going to be uh, just a lot, a lot of fun. I'm going to start out first by throwing a question um, to Gail, and that is why, Gail, is it important to create communities that are dementia-inclusive? That's a good question. In order to... Uh facilitate change and improve the care of people with dementia. We've got to include the whole community. What I found is a lot of the families living with dementia and caring for a person with dementia, they sort of withdraw and stigma plays a huge part in that. So if we can involve the whole community and let them meet people living with dementia one-on-one, it will reduce the stigma and hopefully enable these families to be able to be comfortable coming out and reaching out for support and resources. Now, one of the things I have to ask you, Gail, because you use the, the term dementia inclusive versus we hear so much about being dementia friendly. Do you see a difference between the two of those? Absolutely. My vision is that a person living with dementia with appropriate supports can be comfortable and accepted in the community well into the disease. Mm-hmm. Okay. And. Okay, great. Becky, any any thoughts from you um, regarding dementia-friendly versus dementia-inclusive? I agree with Gail. Um, inclusive really means it's a buy-in not only from um, the care partners, but also the community mm-hmm. uh, that they're in. For example, um, one of my big passions is spirituality and dementia-friendly or dementia-inclusive um, church services and spirituality services and is, tr- is training the care partners, but also other people involved in the community as with churches. Mm-hmm. And I see that big uh, in Gail's organization down the Outer Banks. She does a really good job of reaching out to communities, churches, restaurants, um, the other aging professionals and networks down there to make sure everybody's aware, reduce the stigma, but also engage them so how they can invite the people with dementia to be welcomed into their community. Okay, great. And I I think the term dementia-friendly was always to be inclusive um, with that, but I think the statement is is stronger, saying um, dementia-inclusive versus dementia-friendly. Um, Gail, I I just have to ask, because there's a, a new movement out, and I don't know if you've heard about it, but it sounds like you're good at reaching out into the communities, and Becky had mentioned restaurants. Have you heard of the Purple Table Reservation movement that's going on out there? No, I've heard of the, no, where can I get more information about that? That sounds fascinating. I will, Well, if you just Google uh, Purple Table Reservation, uh, it's a gal. I just talked to her last Friday. In fact, I'm waiting for her to send me some information. Um, but it's it's pretty cool. Um, and they just have a few restaurants, but they they actually have developed a directory. So once people are trained, they can put it into their system. And she, it, her her response in her own restaurant, I, I can't remember the numbers, but it was a phenomenal response of how many people over and above her regulars put in reservations um, to be, you know, dementia um, inclusive um, for their restaurant. And so she's got a, a training that she's developed and um, it's it's pretty cool. And so if you just, again, Google Purple Table Reservation, you will you will find uh, information out on her. 
but that that might make your job a little bit easier. Um, give, having to be a national force and in something that's pretty simple for people to um, partake in and um, and things. So I just thought I would mention that. Um, on top of that, Gail, I, I wanted to ask you why. What are your feelings about enhancing education for the community at large? and care partners, and, and do you do that, and if so, how? Uh, I think it's incredible. We cannot let, uh, engage people if they think that there's nothing that can be done. Mm-hmm. So in order, to, we need to uh, inform the, the greater community that activity-based, that inclusive-based, that uh, programs promote the well-being of the person living with dementia as well as the caregiver. And we have uh, found, uh, created a course called Caring Effectively for Your Loved One with Dementia. And we've been teaching at the College of the Albemarle. Uh, it's a community college since 2008. Mm-hmm. I've also reached out to the churches and have taught that class at different churches to try and engage them. And when I did it at the Catholic Church, one of the ladies said, I used to visit my person and we'd sit there and all she would do is cry. Mm -hmm. And now that I've taken the course and understand how to approach her, we sit there and we sing together. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's huge. We just need to give the people the tools and that'll be begin the process of making a dementia inclusive community. So when you talk about um, educating them uh, activity-based, do you go into um, different ways to communicate, or is it specifically activities to engage them? First of all, as uh, Keepa says, you need to understand, know the person and understand the disease. So I give them a very serious overview of what dementia is, what people can do, and what they can't do living with dementia and try to demonstrate to them how to create it. For example, I have each class, each student go home and fill out a schedule for the day. Mm -hmm. And then we go over it in the morning to show them that each person is different. Some people get up at six and they're out running the streets and other people get up at eight and can't do anything until they have coffee. So to sort of raise awareness that if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person Mm-hmm. and how to look at their day to make it more comfortable for them. Okay, which is like the rest of us. I mean, some people have to have their breakfast and coffee, and others won't eat till lunch. And um, I, I, so I think, you know, one of the things I always stress is that there's more similarities between us with with uh, all of us who don't have dementia um, with the person with dementia than there are differences, you know, and it's just respecting that. Um, that we've always exactly. we we all have always been different from one another, and so we just can't kind of cluster people together and say, okay, these are now the expectations we have of you because you're diagnosed with A, B, C, or D, whatever it is. Um, Becky, anything you want to add on to that conversation? Yes, absolutely. I would say, you know, keep us know as you know, I'm a certified trainer and, and engagement leader on that. In addition to knowing the person, is filling the day and with meaningful and purposeful activities. And music is one area, but also it could be folding towels. Mm-hmm. It could be um, painting 
a room. I mean, something that makes, that fills up a day with meaning. Because uh, people with dementia still want to contribute. And I try to do that with my programs wherever I go. I always find somebody who likes to help. I mean, air quotes, help. And there's always something I need. I hope need stuff sanitized or something like that. So, yeah, that would say, you know, knowing the person, but knowing how you can engage them in a meaningful, purposeful activity that makes them feel valued. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add on to that. Okay. Um, next, oh, go ahead, Gail. Did you have something else you wanted uh, to add? Absolutely. I agree with Becky. But one of the things that I found going back to my class is to add a practicum, to have an actual two-hour class with the students and with people living with dementia in a controlled environment, have them come to a GEM program so they can actually see what they've learned really works. And I think that's, that's been the key to moving forward in the dementia care education that I've been providing. Okay. So in, in your program, you call it the, the GEM program. Is that due to, because it sounds like you've gone through some training with TEEP, is that due to her GEM system or is that something that you called it ages prior? Uh, I, I'm happy to announce that I met TEEPA in 2002. We were, the GEM brought TEEPA and her training to the Adabanks. So I know her personally and she created a she and Melanie Bunn created a, a training video that we use. It it takes place in a, an actual assisted living and demonstrates people living with dementia and Teep and Melanie interacting with them. And I find that very valuable. So yes, I use that, and then of course I keep up with whatever Teep has available and try to attend her trainings. But I take it in a different direction because most of my uh, education and information is about people still living in the community, still still living with their care partners. And a lot of the other educators seem focused on people already living in facilities. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely different uh, scenario that we have because in the facilities, the, the people living with dementia are there. In the community, you have to connect with the caregiver to reach the person living with dementia. Mm-hmm. And that's that. So it's added another level of uh, difficulty in providing these programs because you've got to be able to connect with those caregivers and get them to believe and move, uh, change their lives. It's difficult to get to programs with your loved one with dementia. It's difficult to acknowledge that your loved one. Re- will benefit from these programs. So that's been uh, an area that I'm still addressing and trying to uh, find a better solution to. Yeah. Um, Becky, what are your thoughts about reaching out to people who are dealing with dementia in the community and, and pulling them into resources? What, what's your experience been? I, I'm a lifelong learner and a lifelong teacher. Anytime I come up with a conversation with anybody in my day-to-day interactions. Everybody's majority of everybody I come in contact with have been affected by dementia, either in a family or a friend. So I'm all about sharing resources where you can go. I, as you know, as a Tipa Snow certified trainer and, and um, engagement leader, I really believe in the value of knowing 
knowing the person, but knowing uh, steps you can do to help communicate and help establish a positive connection mm-hmm. with someone with dementia. So, so that's probably the biggest thing is um, I don't have a training program as as sophisticated as what Gail's talking about. I'm more one of those that provide services for for um, facilities and retirement communities that have people living with dementia. And I do training for their care partners and staff. Mm-hmm. But whenever I bring it up publicly, everybody's always seems like impacted and I'm, I'm always pointing them where to go. Okay. Um, Gail, I want to talk to you um, about your uh, kind of community-based services like your memory cafe and you have some um, respite group, I believe, in the adult day program. So why don't you why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, about those? Okay, we we founded Art in the Park four years ago, and the the program was to have a park adventure that combined a tour of the park, a park themed craft, refreshments, and music. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that for four years. Then in doing that, we collaborate now with the Dare County Arts Council and provide art classes in their building uh, once a month, excuse me, once a week starting late October and going through early May. And we've gotten to meet a lot of the artists. And these programs are open to the caregiver and the care partner, professional caregivers, community friends. And usually the mix in our programs is in thirds. We have one third people living with dementia. We have one third care partners. And then we have one third community volunteers. Mm -hmm. And we found that the artists are just amazing in understanding what we're trying to do. And people uh, living with dementia are successful at doing these arts programs. They're not crafts. We make jewelry. We make fused glass. We've made uh, folk art people. So it's a valuable program. And Again, there's no charge for it, and people are welcome to come. Harmony Cafe meets once a month on the first Saturday of each month at Kitty Hawk United Methodist, and we meet from 11 to 2. We, and again, it's about one-third community, people living with dementia, community care, community friends, and caregivers. And we introduce ourselves. So we're trying to level the whole group and make everyone comfortable. So we ask them, what is your full name and where you were you born? And most people can answer that well into the disease. Mm-hmm. Then we'll do a craft, again, uh, laid out and not too long, about a 30-minute craft. We've done um, little bird houses out of sponges, which was a real engineering feat. <laughs> <laughs> then we we have a chair exercise class. And one of the gaps I see in services is group exercises for people with dementia. So I've been leading a a chair exercise class for over 10 years, and we incorporate music, modeling the behavior, repeating it, and uh, focusing. If someone really likes to do punches, then they're the ones that that lead the punches in the activity. We have a warm-up, aerobic, and cool down. And then after that, we have a lunch, usually catered by the partnering church or by a local restaurant, and then live music. And in July, uh, those of you that know the Outer Banks, we're we're the the, uh, location where the colony got lost, the lost colony. And so they have a whole 
outdoor performance, and their choir came and provided uh, live music for us. So that's our Harmony Cafe. Okay. I was going to just throw in there, there's a, a gal I had interviewed uh, earlier this year called Stacy Doric, and she has a book called Sunlight Chair Yoga, and she also has um, a, a DVD that can be purchased. And that might be something that um, would work for your group as well. But I, I, she just does a really nice job. I want to say she's out in out in California. Um, but her, her book, it has um, easy pictures. And even with the DVD, she has the regular and then she has modified um, so that you can kind of see both um, for people. And it's, it works out really Really, really nice there. Um, let's see. As far as, excuse me. Nope, I thought somebody said something. Uh, um, as far as you know, you had said that uh, the Memory Cafe there was no cost for people. How do you fund that? Then is that through the adult day, or do you have sponsors, or how does that work? Uh, we have sponsors, so. Uh... GEM is a standalone nonprofit, and people will make donations. The families will make donations mm-hmm. unsolicited. They'll just come in. And then we do a major fundraiser every year, which is called Carpe Diem. Mm-hmm. And it's a dance marathon. And that helps to fund it. So it comes from GEM. And then we have community partners. The churches, when they co-host, don't charge. Mm-hmm. Kitty Hawk United Methodist doesn't charge us for the space. Okay. The volunteer, we have volunteers and community members, and they don't charge. So that enables us to provide a meaningful program at no cost to the participants. Okay. And then as far as um, you've got respite programs, can you explain what those look like and, and uh, how those work? And, and what respite well, is? Because a lot of people don't even know what respite is. It's a horrible name. It okay. doesn't tell the average well, bear what many, it is. Many great minds have been trying to think of a better word <laughs> than respite. Well, actually, respite is ca- uh, relief from the caregiving role for the caregiver. Mm-hmm. That's the definition. I'm actually on a work group in North Carolina to try and come up with a bit a more inclusive definition. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, we've been working on it for a year. Mm-hmm. Anyway, our respite programs right now, we don't have any group respite available at the time. I partner with the North Carolina Respite Coalition and our local entity, the Dementia Task Force, Project Care, and um, the Area Agency on Aging and connect families with respite funds. And part of that Gem is becomes involved training the caregivers who are going to be providing the respite. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of our what we do with respite. We're hoping using the Harmony Cafe model to grow this to churches all along the Outer Banks, to create the desire in the community to have a group respite mm-hmm. and then move on to a licensed adult daycare. And so that that's our dream, and we're working slowly, one at a time, with churches. We've added a second church that meets that hosts the Harmony Cafe twice a year. So now we've got one 12 months a year, and we've got one doing two months a year, and we're hoping to just grow the program and and, and explain to the uh, demonstrate to the community the value and the need. Mm-hmm. Say, Gail, I just had somebody. Um 
email me and say, where's the Outer Banks? I don't know where she's referring to. So where, where, why don't you tell people exactly where you're located? Okay, we're, we're located on the Atlantic coast just down from Norfolk, Virginia. We're in the state of North Carolina, and we're Outer Barrier Islands. Okay. So, uh, and we're, we're the land where flight began. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, uh, this is where the Wright brothers left. Oh, first okay. had their first flight. Okay, great. And then with your adult day program, can you tell us, uh, you know, kind of hours and is that a full-time or part-time or, um, how does that work for people? I so apologize. We closed our adult daycare program in 2001, and we're, we're due to uh, difficulties with the uh, zoning. Okay. So we're hoping to collaborate and start another one. But right now it's dormant, and that's why we've been doing the Harmony Cafe and the art classes. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um Becky, anything that you want to add um, to kind of the Memory Cafe and the the Respite Group conversation? Yes. um, I've been honored to help Gail and provide a music therapy service program a couple of times now. And just to see the level of engagement of, of people with dementia with the people that are there and what's wonderful about the Harmony Cafe is families will bring their grandchildren and to see the grandchildren sit next a toddler, I mean, I'm talking toddlers, sit next to the grandma or great grandma and play a drum with them or, or grab a, a shaker or grab a, a wooden instrument and be able to make music together is so worthwhile. And what Gail has been able to collaborate with the volunteers because the volunteers come from churches mm-hmm. and a lot of people that go to these churches, they want to reduce the stigma. So having volunteers coming from various churches in their, in the outer banks of North Carolina, it, it reduces the stigma. So the volunteers go back to their church and say, you're you know, a friend of her may say, come check out this harmony cafe because it might be worth a friend to come to. So that's one thing I see about this program is the volunteers have outreach where they go to church, which is not the same place where the, where this is hosted. Okay. So and I'm just amazed what Gail's able to collaborate with many different organizations for one cause. Well, that's wonderful. It's uh, it's not an easy thing to do all the time. And, uh, but you know, when you make a good first impression, that goes a long ways in terms of getting, <laughs> getting the buy-in from people. So kudos kudos to you, Gail, um, for kind of setting that precedent and, and that reputation of, of really delivering something that works. And, and Becky, I know you're just amazing in terms of, of your work as well. So I want to make sure that you're included in that um, too. Um, let's talk about... Um, Chronic disease, you know, which, you know, especially with dementia can last, you know, they say eight to 20 years. But I know for me, you know, with my mom, it was 30 years. And the importance of of trying to stimulate buy-in to to get appropriate support for people, you know, in the early to mid stages um, that that can still be active in in community. Um, Gail, why don't you talk a little bit about that? 
actually, that's an interesting topic. I had my first uh, person visit that's living with early onset dementia. And not early onset, she's 70, but mm-hmm. she's living in the early stages. Mm-hmm. And what I suggested to her is, is to find a volunteer organization where her skills are appropriate. And she is, she's working for our local women's shelter, women's uh, thrift store. Thrift store. Mm-hmm. And try. we do memory screening. So we get people really early when they're first diagnosed and we try to give them support materials and let them know that we're here when they need us. Mm-hmm. So that's, and we work. Unfortunately, a lot of the volunteers that come to GEM are actually people in the early stages. Mm-hmm. And so they found a home at Harmony Cafe where they feel comfortable and and valued, and they're still participating in the community. So we, really try to address the early stages in that manner. Wonderful. Um, Becky, I would imagine you see kind of a wide range of of, um, clientele with dementia. What do you think about trying to get people involved earlier on versus just later? Absolutely. In fact, I go to a lot here in Norfolk, Virginia, and I go all the way up to Williamsburg, which is about 45 miles away, and do a lot of adult daycare adult day programs in Williamsburg, especially up here, since there's several options up here in Williamsburg for adult day care programs. And I love it when they have care partner um, meetings or, or events for care partners with their loved one. And I tell them, I tell the, the loved ones, these are people in the early stages as well. Say, I always tell their love, their care partner, you have to find help now. Because this is a marathon, not a not a sprint, and it may last three to thirty years, and just you think you can do it now, but it's going to be really hard. And I always really advise people: you really need to find a team that you can reach out to for any kind of help. And I'm probably the worst one to ask for help myself, but I have found the more I ask for help or just little things, um, it makes a big big difference. And that's probably the biggest thing. And that's what Tiba Snow talks about tremendously is reaching out in the early stages. So your person living with dementia feels comfortable with somebody else besides you. And that's probably the hardest thing because after after so many years and going through the stages of dementia, the person is going to get potentially more isolated and they will only want a fewer and fewer people in their scope. So I always, that's probably the biggest thing is get help in early in the early stages. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, you know, pulling people in that are um, familiar or not familiar, you know, just so you're getting those routines set up um, long term. And a lot of times I think we we don't do it because we feel like we can handle it. But then when we can't handle it, then it's almost too late and it's more complicated um, to to implement things. And same with, um, you know, technological devices, you know, that can assist families as well. A lot of times we, we're like, oh, no, we're good with this. But it's like, oh, gosh, if we would have implemented it earlier and stuck with it, this probably would have worked and really alleviated a lot of stress for everybody um, in that process. Gail, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I'd just like to flash back to community involvement. I'm actually teaching a class that I've designed 
for care partners and community friends Mm -hmm. because community friends bear the brunt of caregiving. It's very easy to really overtax your community friends. You don't have to admit there's a diagnosis. You can pretend everything is just going fine. And I've heard from community friends where they're bathing and, and really doing a lot of hard work in the care of the person. So I've developed a course to try and reach out to the community and the community friends to understand this is where you can help and this is where a professional is required. Mm-hmm. Now going to technology, my husband is completely blind, so I'm very well aware of wonderful technology that helps him that's also helpful uh, to people with dementia. I've heard several caregivers tell me about um, tracking devices that they can put into the shoes that their loved ones wear. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's Project Lifesaver, which will help you find someone. Um, and I understand that there's pill boxes that will open at the appropriate time to ensure that people get the right medications. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's, it's kind of endless in terms of, of what's going on. On I just uh, interviewed uh, Roger Santos, and we talked about um, telemedicine and then also kind of uh, patient monitoring systems that are out there that, you know, technology that can be put in the, in the home um, to help if it's blood pressure and oxygen levels or finding out if someone has been using the restroom or gone into the kitchen, you know, to eat, opened up the fridge. Um, there's just so many different levels of, of monitoring that can be done. And, and then again, you know, every family has to say, is this appropriate? Cause I know some people feel like that some of the technology can kind of cross the lines in terms of privacy, especially when video comes into play. And yet um, when somebody wants to stay home, there's a fine line in terms of what is safe and how do you how do you set up support with that? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's something every family has to decide for for themselves in terms of what's what's going to work. Or um, you know the the telemedicine where you can virtually meet with a doctor versus having to run in um, to the office uh, to have a conversation and maybe make some adjustments in things and. You know, will that save the system money? Will that reduce stress? Um, you know, a lot of this stuff is trial and error, and uh, we don't we don't know all the answers. And and Gail, like you said earlier, you know, when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one, and everybody's circumstances are different. Everybody's life is different, and what works one moment might not work the next. But that doesn't mean it won't work again either. Um, and so we really are in this information and kind of a research gathering process. And I think that's where it's so important to all of us have our eyes and ears open and, and network and share the knowledge that we have um, so that we can, we can hone things down and, uh, and move forward you know, a little bit faster in terms of uh, shifting our, our um, care process from crisis to comfort you know, all around the world. Um, Gail, is there anything else that you specifically wanted to cover? I can't believe our hour is just about up already. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big question. Um, I guess the community partnerships are, are just so huge, and, and it's the only way we're going to really change attitudes is to pull in the younger folks. When I talk to folks 
that are World War II generation or baby boomers, it's too close to them if they're not affected already. Mm -hmm. Or So if we can reach out to younger folks, they sort of understand it. They're welcoming of the idea, and sometimes they can pull in their parents and grandparents to care and support. So we, we cannot forget the younger folks. And the other thing uh, we developed is caring teens and tweens. Mm-hmm. And we pulled them in and we went to the skilled nursing facility and ran senior games with these young people. And everyone won because we were able to train them for eight hours before they went. And they greeted each each resident, demonstrated to them the uh, exit, the game that they were going to participate in and then thank them for their participation. And so I think that there's a lot of um, resources out there utilizing younger children, which are already in the caregiving role, because I know you mentioned uh, the Alzheimer's tape, the memory loss tapes by Ms. Shriver. Mm-hmm. And she has a whole segment on children caring for people with dementia. Mm-hmm. So if we can pull those children in and those younger folks in to understand the disease, it'll help everyone. Yeah, I, I love the intergenerational aspects. I think, uh, well, A, I think it's just so natural, and I think it's asinine that we've separated it um, for way too long, um, trying to protect kids from this disease. This is, they, you know, they know exactly what's going on. They're very smart, and they have some ingenious ways of communicating and understanding and accepting, especially the younger ones. They haven't been taught to push away and categorize and look down. They're just, you know, they just want to play and they just want to have fun. You know, those, those younger ones. And, um, and that's powerful stuff. And, you know, they can bring, I think sometimes laughter and joy where adults have pushed it out because they take this task so seriously, um, that they forget how important humor is and, um, just relaxing with uh, someone who they're caring for. Um, exactly. Be- Becky, what are your thoughts? Anything you want to oh add? Oh, my gosh. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say, first of all, Lori, thank you for having this tremendous platform for your podcast. I, I travel quite a bit through my, my clients, and I listen to this podcast every twice a day. And a lot of times I, I listen to them several times just to get all the great resources. So thank you for having this tremendous platform for not only uh, this, but Dementia Chats and everything else that you're doing. So I'm eternally grateful that you have had the vision to do this. Um, but I, I, along with what Gail and intergenerational programs, um, one, one of my big visions for what I see what music can do is I want to also ab- advocate for not only people living with dementia, but the music therapy profession and with uh, healthcare professionals. I'm talking the, jo- the doctors, the gerontologists, the geri- no, geriatricians, the professionals that are on, A, making the diagnosis, you know, the psychologists, psychiatrists, people making the diagnosis, but also there is life after the diagnosis. And that's what my big thing now is, you know, there is life after dementia. You just got to live with it and figure out how you can live with it. Mm-hmm. And I find when music is, or other meaningful activities, such as what Gail does with her programs, but music especially, everybody is musical. Uh, everybody has rhythm in their bodies. And if you can improve the quality of life, 
not only for the person living with dementia, but the care partner, but also healthcare professionals, making this world a better place to live with dementia. Because until there's until there's a cure, there's always care. And mm-hmm. I, just, you know, the crisis of comfort. I just see the same way with you got to care. Because until there's a cure, we there is the caring, which is what we all do. So, yeah. thank you. Well, and and I I agree with you totally on that. I I think it's just <clears throat> so important for us to to acknowledge, like you said, everybody has rhythm. It might not be the same rhythm all the time, <laughs> you know, but that's okay because we can, we can still have fun and it's still, it's still something that, I don't know, there's something about rhythm when it moves through your body and, and, you know, you just kind of let loose, really freeing. And um, there's a soulfulness with that. And, you know, sometimes I think we judge people if it's on the dance floor or, you know, they're singing, if it's not, perfectly in tune but you know they they are in a joyful moment and none of us have a right to take that away from another that's my personal belief um you know and we have to we have to embrace um the joy that's before us and the beauty within that and and see that it it isn't always in a form that we think it's going to be or that it has to be and to me, that was one of the biggest lessons I think that my mom taught me on this journey of dementia was just that that acceptance and looking for the joy and and all the different ways it's there. And, and I think now, especially when our world is in such turmoil, you know, if, if you can find those moments of joy instead of turning on the TV and hear one traumatic and dramatic thing after another and and find those moments of joy because it will just give you a peacefulness within instead of this unrest that I think so many people are feeling in this fear factor. It just, it centers us. Um, and, and music and personal engagement um, can happen in many, many forms. And why we aren't tapping that more, why we aren't having the conversation um, to generate more of this to me is asinine um, because most of this is um, simple and it's free and it's, it's stuff we can implement throughout our day, you know, on our own and, um, and really um, balance ourselves. I I don't know. Uh, Gail, what are, what are your thoughts regarding that? Do you, do you see engagement bringing a peacefulness to people versus kind of this turmoil that we're living in these days? Absolutely. The the best thing in the world to make you feel better is to be able to help someone else. I mean, there's nothing that can... And see someone else happy. Like at the last Harmony Cafe, Becky did the drum circle. Mm-hmm. And then we had a music program. And when Henrietta started drumming in the music program, and they got her a drum, and she sat next to Becky, and they just drummed together. And the joy of seeing that carried through till Tuesday with everyone that was in that room. We were just so happy to see Henrietta's joy as she played the drums. I mean, that's something that's very healing mm-hmm. to be able to uh, provide that kind of, a, of a, an event an event for Henrietta because she was really, really struggling. Well, and, I think it's something that we don't teach either. You know, taking taking and feeling the joy that someone else is experiencing. I mean, we don't, we don't seem to value that, you know, or talk about that. And man, when you can get to that compassionate place, I mean, it's, 
it's life changing, you know, and uh, I did um, a real formal drum circle at a, uh, I was out in leading age, um, Washington a couple months ago, and they had a drum circle going. And I got to tell you, it was, everybody had so much fun. Everyone was a little reluctant at first because everyone's business professionals, you know, and it was early in the morning. And then everybody was just getting into it. And the whole mood in the whole room, and there were hundreds of people, um, changed, you know, through this rhythm and, and what what they were able to accomplish with a group of people who didn't have a clue what they were doing with the drum, <laughs> you know, and, and the music that was made and the smiles and the laughter and just the whole energy in the room changed. And it, it just had this ripple effect um, that was very subtle and almost unconscious, but it just, it took over. And it was like, wow, it, this is powerful, powerful stuff. And, you know, so Becky, I think kudos to you in terms of, of pushing that out and in generating those smiles and soulfulness Um and that ability to play again, because I think as adults, we, we kind of put that on the, on the side burner sometimes. And we don't, um, we don't have that, um, what do I want to call it? Just innocent play mode. You know, we become adults. And- yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lori. Well, I'm not bringing drums on the uh, cruise, but I am bringing boom whackers, mm-hmm. which are actually more fun than drums. So we're going to find what kind, of, what kind of rhythm you have here, Lori, in November. Cool. That will be that'll be a lot, a lot of fun. Well, in wrapping up here, I I can't thank you guys enough for the work that you're doing. And Gail, what uh, what contact information do you want to give our listeners? I know we've listed a bunch on the on the page, but um, what specifically would you like them to have? My email, because that really works well for me. Okay. Would you like it's it's G for some Gail, and then S like Sam, S O N N. E-S-S-O at gmail.com. And we also have a website, which you've been kind enough to share. And we have a Facebook page that, you know, shows our programs in action. Okay. And the Facebook page, if they just put in the GEM Center, they should find it. Um, That's correct. Great. And then um, for you, Becky, what, what contact information would you like our listeners to have? My email address is Becky, so B-E-C-K-Y, at musicforwellness.net. So it's M-U-S-I-C, the number four, wellness.net. And my company website is saying music number four, wellness.net. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn as well. And also a newsletter, so if people like to opt in for a newsletter, it's a monthly newsletter that either mailed or emailed. If they want to learn more about dementia with engaging through music, just go on my email list. And, and I have to and say thank you again, Lori. Great. And I have to say it's a great newsletter that you put out. So thank you um, for including me in that. Um, well, that is a wrap in terms of our engaging activities. And I just, like I said, I, I, I learned a lot. I thought it was a great conversation. And I hope I hope you do too. And I hope that you share this far and wide with uh with your spheres of influence, if it's your Facebook friends, if it's your LinkedIn colleagues, if it's your 
Twitter tribe or your Pinterest people, um, you know, go ahead and, and push that out. Um, you can even include a link to the show in your um, newsletter if you'd like. Please uh, feel free to do that. Again, uh, if you're interested in joining uh, Becky and I and a bunch of others on our dementia-friendly cruise November 11th through the 18th, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you'll see more information there. Uh, you do have to book it through Kathy Schof, who is our travel agent for our group. Um, but there is still time, uh, though that door is starting to close. I would encourage you to do that sooner than later. And then all of our shows here on uh, Alive and Social are, um, <clears throat> excuse me, are archived. And I've been doing this show for over six years. So we got lots of things for you to listen to. Also, our Dementia Chats, which are video conversations where I interview uh, people who are diagnosed with dementia because I truly do feel that they are the real experts. Um, the last one I have posted had to do with the impact of social media um, on those living with dementia, and I'm in the process of editing one uh, that'll be on laughter and humor with dementia, and I think you'll find some things there that surprise you a bit. On our blog, there's a beautiful poem that was submitted um, by Elena, who is uh, one of the members of our community, called A Rose in the Snow. Um, a little blurb on Arthur's Residential Care, which is one of my favorite residential communities in the U.S., and then we have a, an upcoming article that is going to be, um, I think, very interesting. It's written by Elon Caspi, who is a dementia behavior consultant. And the title is Trust at Stake is the dual mission of the U.S. Alzheimer's Association out of balance. And that uh, was published in the International Journal of Social Research and Practices. Uh, there is also on our blog a survey that you can take that was put together by Heather DeVilla um, at the University of Minnesota, and it's on aging quality. What is that to you in healthcare? And, you know, by completing that, maybe you can help us turn our health uh, reform around and get information where it needs to go. Last, I'm just going to give a shout out again to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Again, if you're looking for some holistic outlets, they are definitely the place to go. And if you're looking for a memory cafe, please go to the memorycafedirectory.com, memorycafedirectory.com that is provided by Calendar Cards. And they have over 330 entries listed. If you have a memory cafe and you're not in there, uh, just go to that site. You can contact him. It's it's free, and it's just a really easy route to be able to find uh, find one in your community or find if there already is one um, or maybe there isn't one and you want to start one uh, in your community. Last, I'm going to close with uh, one simple little phrase, and that is what I call your memory chip, focusing on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. Have a blessed week, everyone. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.